still remember. You go into like a toy store, or even I mean, these things were even in um, you know like supermarkets, uh, drug stores, convenience stores, and there's a certain feeling I remember getting when I saw them, especially a big display of, of these yo-yos. Like um, it was it was Duncan, right? The Duncan brand of yo-yo, uh, du- and and there was different kinds, but the main one was the du- the Duncan Imperial, and it had kind of a was it kind of like a fleur de lis logo in the middle or something? And it just felt like such a premium product to me when I was when I was a kid. And I ha- we we had yo-yos, and um, I'm trying to think. There was also that the butterfly yo-yo, which is almost like reversed. You know, if you don't know what a yo-yo is, it's sort of a it's a little device with string in it, and you can uh, <coughs> um, you wrap the string around your finger, and then you can throw the yo-yo but it's on a string so then it can like come back but it's like a, it's like sort of two discs and then a, like a like a spindle in the middle how do you describe a yo-yo i don't know <laughs> the string wraps around this little spindle thing in the middle but it's also supposed to um the one thing i never really understood is you're, you're supposed to be able to throw it down and then it doesn't just come back up immediately. It it, it 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 can keep spinning, right? Which how how does that work? How can it keep spinning? <coughs> because then the idea is if you sort of give a little jerk of your wrist, like, and then you can uh, it'll come back to you, right? Because I guess the, there's a loop at the end, and it's just freely spinning around, you know, using that uh, centrifugal or centripetal force. <coughs> um, but if you give it a little little jerk, then it'll bunch up a little bit and come back. That's what I never really understood. I don't think as kids we really understood yo-yos. I think I think when you saw like cartoon characters playing with yo-yos, they would always just be going down and up, down and up. But this the whole the main thing was that getting it in that state where it's uh, spinning and it has that gyroscopic motion at the end of the string without coming back up and then you can do all these other tricks like I remember and I'm, I'm not sure when was the big uh, yo-yo craze but definitely in the 70s there was a big yo-yo craze I think and you would see people on TV doing these like incredible stunts with these yo-yos like um, <coughs> they would you know sort of swing it down and then pick up the string almost like a cat's cradle kind of like make this construct with the, the the string and then oh yeah it was like rock the baby you would build like they built like this cradle out of the string and then the yo-yo still spinning you'd rock it back and forth and it was called rock the baby right and then i remember there was one called round the world and i remember trying to do it cuz there was these guys on tv that were like super yo-yo experts and they would like okay now we're going to do around the world and they would throw the yo-yo and then swing it all around it almost like dangerously almost like i think what weren't yo-yos originally like a kind of weapon or something <laughs> uh, a heavy object on the end of a cord yes uh so you do around the world and but then the whole idea was that then it has to come back up into your hand i remember when i was a kid i would just do around the world and it was just like i would just like swing it around <laughs> you know very dangerous of swinging this yo-yo around <coughs> Well, but then it, it wasn't still spinning. I was just I was just sort of throwing it around. I don't think I ever really got to really understand 
how it really worked. <coughs> but it was a cool thing. It was a cool little object you can carry around with you. Um, but yeah, it always sort of felt like... Yeah, I always felt like I wasn't doing it right. And then also the string, I guess... You're supposed to make a little loop at the end, but then <coughs> run it through itself again. So it sort of wraps around your finger. You know what I mean? Snugly. I'm not describing this properly. Like there's a little loop at the end, but the idea is you're supposed to sort of run the whole thing through that loop. So then you have that other, it's not like a knot. You know what I'm talking about. It's like a slip, slip knot. It's not a slip knot. Listen, yo-yos are very hard to talk about. We lack vocabulary to describe all the different aspects of it. You know, like sometimes when you have um, luggage tags, right? It's 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 a loop. It's like a plastic lo- a loop, uh, but then you can sort of uh, you can run it through. How do you do it? You run it through. Yeah, <laughs> there's a thing. If you have a loop, you can run it through itself, right? And then you could do that twice, and that's how you attach the luggage tag to your luggage, which I always found kind of annoying. It's like this weird, like, topological weirdness, you know. So I, th- when we went on the trip to Italy a few months ago, I, I got a, a different kind of luggage tag that just has it's a metal loop that has a screw thing in, in the end. Without having to do that. There's got to be a name for that thing when you loop a loop around itself to attach something to something. You know what I'm saying? There should be a word for that. There really should be. It's like, uh, dragla. You know, like what a, but you know what I'm saying? And it's not really, it's not really a knot either. It's not a knot. Oh boy, here we go. Lawn care. Jeez. Can I sit out here for five minutes without noise pollution? I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about with like you, you, you put the loop through the loop and then it like, it's almost like, I can't describe it. You know what I'm talking about. What are they doing over there? But yeah, I just sort of feel like... And then I I think there was a yo-yo resurgence later. Maybe in the 90s or early 2000s. Wasn't there like another yo-yo company? But then now I don't think anyone's even talking about yo-yos anymore. Maybe... I mean, I don't know, but I would suspect that as, uh, you know, the life of children has become more and more sheltered. Maybe yo-yos are considered too dangerous, even though they were... They're dangerous, but whatever. They had a lot of dangerous stuff. We never had those lawn darts called jarts, but they actually had things like that, these giant darts that that were, like, like injuring people constantly. That's what the 70s were like. There was, like, no safety concerns. <laughs> yeah, whatever happened to yo-yos? What's that line from that song? Can't eat a yo-yo. Yeah, it's that Orchid Spangiophorus. Orchid Spangiophorus song. I think it's just Dime Operation, right? Can't eat a yo-yo. Some guy in Minneapolis was like, I guess recording stuff off TV or something and made this incredible album called Flea Past's Ape Elf. And one of the quotes is, Can't eat a yo-yo. <coughs> There's no context, though. You know, so. Let's see if we can find, find that. Was this the yo-yo episode? <coughs> Can't eat a yo-yo. I guess they could make edible yo-yos, but there's really not much of a market for that. 
can't eat a yo-yo. <clears throat> oh, yo-yo dieting? No, this is that's this is a totally different. This has nothing to do with that. This is obscure audio sample from an album from was it from '79? Are you are you telling me there's no results coming up on on can't eat a yo-yo orchid spandiophora? Am I just imagining this? Yeah, because this is the cassette someone gave me. Without even telling me what the title was, they gave me a, a dub on a cassette when I was in college, and the, the album like really uh, um, obsessed me. Okay, I am finding nothing. Am I gonna like? Do I have to now find this? This this may take a little while. <laughs> I, I I don't know if we have uh, yeah. Yeah, it's on Bandcamp. Yeah, flea pests, ape elf, which is a, a a palindrome. Dime operation. Can we hear it? Is this is this it? No. <laughs> Maybe you just never caught her. What? Maybe you just never. What, why does it have a different cover now? Caught her. <laughs> what is this? The edited version? See, that's it. I, it was right there, right at the beginning of the album. Hold on, hold on. Hold, hold on. I thought, I thought this was going to be another one of those fool's errands. It was taking me hours, but I, I just found it. Yes, it's Dime Operation. Maybe you just never caught her. Maybe you just never mentioned it even. Caught her. Casey at the bed. Casey at the bed. Casey at the bed. Can't eat a yo-yo. Can't eat a yo-yo. Can't eat a yo-yo. See, I told you. Casey at the bat. Casey at the bat. Can't eat a yo-yo. This 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 album is enough to drive you insane. is quite the album. No one's improved. We are beginning to learn this at last. We are beginning at last. We are beginning this at last. Beginning to learn right, Enough of that. I think that album's playing in the back of my mind constantly. <clears throat> Let me just write down Dime Operation. Yeah. Can't eat a yo-yo. Oh, I'm so happy I found it. Why was that not on Google? I know the Google searches are, are getting worse and worse lately. <laughs> by Orchid Spangiophora. <clears throat> and uh, some of those uh, tracks also show up on. Uh, there's this uh, radio show. I think it's also from uh, whoa, the Minneapolis area uh, from the '80s, called uh, Another Flask of Weird. And they put a bunch of stuff up on uh, on the Internet Archive. And I've played on the other side from time to time some clips from that. <coughs> and, uh, excuse me, I, I. What are they, revving up the weed whacker? I mean, what's going on over there? Uh, <coughs> so, another flask of weird. So, they were basically, I, as I recall, this album's from 78, 79. So, this is like 80, 81, 82. A flask of. The, another flask of weird show. I guess it was a college radio show or a local radio show. 
and in some of the pieces that I play, they actually are playing clips from that album, right? Which makes sense because it, it was in Minneapolis, I think, as well. And then, of course, my uh, the alternate timeline I talk about a lot. I in the other timeline, I went to school near Minneapolis. So, who knows? Who knows? <coughs> who knows what would have happened? in that other Minneapolis. Anyway, I'm just going to, I, you know, I, I need to look this up. Let me just see. Like, if I if I go on Amazon right now, today, right now, I'm going on right now, to, if I look up yo-yo, like, what will come up? No, not yoga, yo-yo. Yoga is a much more prevalent Y-O word. Well, I guess you would be the top one. Yeah, look, Duncan Imperial. There it is. With that fleur de lis, yeah. Oh yeah, Yo Mega. That was another big uh, <coughs> auto return. Hmm. Duncan Imperial, yeah. <coughs> it's considered a beginner yo-yo. Yes, yeah, that clear plastic look. Yeah. Yeah, that Imperial logo with that unctual font. Wow. Yeah, that is really beautiful. So, so they're still making it. And then there's that. O- there's that other thing. The. Uh, the hell is that like there's one where the 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 string is completely disattached but it has a different name <coughs> diablo toy i think <coughs> uh, the, uh, the here's one that's an unresponsive yo-yo what yeah the duncan butterfly yes that that's the other one i was thinking of duncan imperial six pack yeah so i guess they, i guess people are still they must still be doing it i don't know Oh yeah, there's someone doing like the, like one of those uh, rock the cradle kind of cat's cradle things they're doing. Hmm. Rock the cradle and cat's cradle, two different things, sort of. No, well they both make cradle looking, uh, yeah, stuff. Listen, I'm trying to figure this out. <coughs> All right, so Duncan. I'm just trying to figure like who owns Duncan now. What is like Duncan? Because I mean like. How do they get? How, how do they not be sued by Dunkin' Donuts? Or maybe they actually came first. It's spelled differently, but it's, it sounds the same. Can you sue someone just for something that sounds the same? Probably. DunkinToys.com, the world's number one yo-yos and toys. Okay, so <clears throat> is this just like a private company, like? Duncan Toys Company. Wow. This, it, does, it doesn't seem like a company that should still be in business, right? I mean... I want to find a corporate history. Since 1920... It is, a, it is its own company. Wow. That is so weird. You think they'd be been brought by Hasbro by now, no? <clears throat> Where's the uh, the history? I thought I found the history page. Since 1929. Hmm. Duncan is one of the oldest and best known toy makers. Hmm. Okay, here here's the Wikipedia page. Duncan Toys Company is an American toy manufacturer b- based in Middlefield, Ohio. <coughs>
1968, okay, here we go. Duncan Toys became a division of Flambeau. <laughs> what the hell is Flambeau? <coughs> the mysterious Flambeau Corporation. Keeping the products of tomorrow in plastic. Who knew? The Flambeau Corporation, you know? <coughs> anyway, that's about that's about it for the yo-yo topic. Come on. Anyway, in other news. Um, I saw the second episode of this seventh season of Rick and Morty. The show, uh, the cartoon, half-hour cartoon show on Adult Swim, and um, the show is not good anymore. And this episode was marginally better than episode one of season seven. It was called the Jarek Trap, and um, it was just, yeah, it was just overly dense and confusing and pointless. But I guess you could sort of say that about all the episodes. But this one had kind of like. Uh, <clears throat> Jerry and uh, and Rick like s- initially they were going to switch mo- switch bodies but then their brains got all mixed up so they both were like sort of hybrids of each other <clears throat> um, uh, it was interesting this episode because uh, they actually played the White Stripes song I can tell that we are gonna be friends so uh, Jack White got on the episode there and uh, <coughs> but the greatest thing they did in this episode was they referenced the Howard Dean scream, right? I always thought that was a kind of a funny piece. See, politics used to be kind of fun, not this, like, torture like it is now. And this guy, Howard Dean, was a was leading Democratic candidate, I believe, around d- 2004. Um, and uh, he was got very passionate on stage. And he's and he you know he's saying we're gonna go to Minnesota we're gonna go to Ohio yeah and that scream which he said the microphone was picking up his voice but he couldn't even hear himself talking because the crowd was screaming so I so that scream basically ruined his entire political career and um, let me see if we can just play it. And, but they they referenced it on Rick and Morty. I was so happy because I thought it's, I, I I thought I was the only one that still remembered that from God only it's like twenty years ago now. Um, <clears throat> we'll we'll find it right here. I'll find the original. Then I see if I can find. I have YouTube TV, so maybe we can hear the actual episode of uh, Rick and Morty. <clears throat> but it's sort of sad. This this guy's whole life is down to literally one second of his life when he screamed it's the only thing people remember about him but it might be otherwise you wouldn't remember him at all obviously he wasn't going to win the nomination the scream that doomed Howard Dean here here we go is this it we we have to watch an ad before we can hear the scream you know something if you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, this guy didn't even know that anything. his career would be over in like you know 10 something? seconds from now. You know 15 seconds. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, career ending. 
Oh, look, Tom Harkin, another obscure. Arizona, oh, here we go. And North Dakota and New Mexico. And we're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! That's it. That doomed his career. It seems like such a minor infraction <laughs> considering our bizarre politicians these days. But he uh, will not give up. Well, you may as well give up now. You just did that we scream, will buddy. Not give up in New Hampshire. We will not give up in South Carolina. We will not give up in Arizona. Is he going to do it again? Mexico, Oklahoma, North Dakota, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan. What? We will not quit now or ever. We want our country back for ordinary Americans. What, what is he doing? The Animaniacs uh, Geography song? What is going on with this guy? <laughs> All right, let me see if I can find... Uh, I don't know how, how easy this would be. You t- I have YouTube TV, <coughs> and so I should be able to play the recording and find the part where they're referencing that. I think he's still around, Howard Dean. <laughs> the scream guy. The scream guy. Sculptures <laughs> out of springs and gears? Fuck uh, off, memory gene. Fuck it's off, memory gene. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, now I have to find find the part where they're. I think it's, it's weird. like. Most of my underworld contacts are ghosting me. My pleasure, Morty. I should be thanking you <coughs> for making me rich. Wait, I I didn't pay you for this. Yeah, these guys did. I think it's coming up soon. What's the problem, kid? Conehead got your tongue. Oh, hold on. Alright, I'm gonna have to pause. I'll find this. I'll find the clip. Yes. Alright, we found it. We found it. Forget it, Burger! It's our calling card! Oh, really called that one. one of us always gets shot. God damn it! Hey, you'll never guess who just ripped us off. Oh, wow. I thought it was coming up soon. (laughs) 24 Crystal Heights in 24 hours! We're two farts in the wind, baby! Yeah! Do your Howard Dean scream! Yeah! Five o'clock somewhere. Five o'clock somewhere. God damn, look at us! No rules, no responsibilities, just two best friends on the run! Yeah! (laughs) <laughs> I wonder if Howard Dean like responded to this. Let me let me look at the news and see if Howard Dean has uh, has has a, a comment on him, him being referenced. I wonder if they had to get his permission to like is is the scream copyrighted? I mean, you know, I don't know. One month ago, Howard Dean, at last, Congress proposes drug pricing reform that works. Uh, no, that's kind of annoying. <laughs> the hell? He's still around, it looks like. He, he's making comments on Congress and stuff. Uh. <laughs> Let's see. Howard Dean talks DNC Dean Screen Revival. I've had a lot of fun with it. 2016? Wait a minute. This is 2023. Hmm. 
All right, so is he sort of, yeah. So does he do the scream now? Like, everyone, do the scream, do the scream. All right, whatever. I'm tired of this this guy at this point. Famous for screaming, for God's sakes. Maybe he w- but who knows? Maybe if he didn't scream, he would have been like the best president ever and brought about world peace. <laughs> See? If you people just weren't so critical of his scream, well, we would be living in a paradise by now. You know, it could happen. All right, so uh, in other news, Rule from from the Netherlands, who I was going to be getting together with uh, a few weeks ago or last month in Boston, and that trip had to be uh, canceled because uh, my wife broke her shoulder. But he sent us uh, some vegan candies from the Netherlands. What, what am I seeing? Oh, okay, the mail, the mail delivery. Okay. There's people outside my window. Um, uh, some uh, vegan candies from uh, the Netherlands. And uh, we have uh, Tony's Choco-Lonely. I've seen this brand, like, in Whole Foods and stuff. Choco-Lonely? Like, lonely chocolate? Uh, I guess the word pure in uh, Dutch means dark. So there's a 70% dark, and then there's... The dark the chocolate almond sea salt, which is this one. I think we're going to try this one. But we also have uh, these little caramel sea salt bits. Hands off my chocolate brand. And seriously dark chocolate. And then what I'm really looking forward to is uh, Old Timers Vegan Licorice. I'm uh, hoping there's some of that uh, salt licorice, which has that ammonia flavor. I haven't had that in a long time. Isn't there an article? And then we also have Old Timer's uh, Cocoa Strops, a vegan. See, remember remember way back when I, w- I was really into the uh, salt licorice? And when, you, when they say salt licorice, it's ammonia salt, not regular table salt. So um, it was so hard to find anything that was vegan that had that great ammonia flavor. But these, I'm hoping, have the ammonia in it. People, I mean, I know ammonia is something that you think of as a cleansing product, and it is just so delicious. Um, was there an article recently about ammonia being like a fifth kind of flavor? Or six. I know, uh, what's, that, uh, what's that Japanese flavor? Umami is like a sixth, and that's just like the seventh flavor. It's a new flavor. They used to make ammonia cokes. I remember I, I tried um, – I got some ammonia. I, did, I wanted to get some edible ammonia to put in my Coca-Cola, but I remember I got some, but I couldn't tell if it was for consumption or not. I, was, I didn't want to poison myself. You know what I'm saying? So salt licorice is basically the only place you can get it. I, I don't know where if you can just get the ammonia to put in other things. Here we go, neurosciencenews.com. All your neuroscience news in one place. A new flavor frontier is ammonium, our sixth basic taste. The tongue's response to ammonium chloride, a component in some candies, may indicate a sixth basic taste. The study illuminated that OTOP1, a protein receptor that signals sour taste, also responds notably to ammonium chloride. So it's a whole article here. Six basic tastes. Um, yeah. Japanese scientist uh, Kikunae 
Ikeda first proposed umami as a basic taste in addition to sweet, sour, salty, and bitter in the early 1900s. About eight decades later, the scientific community officially agreed with him. When it took 80 years, this guy's like, I propose umami is a basic taste. Ah, you're nuts. Get out of here. Get out of here, Ikeda. Get out of here. You're full of crap. That's not a basic taste. 80 years later. Um, remember that guy, uh, Kikunai Ikeda? I think he was right. I think it was a basic taste. So now we have the sixth taste, ammonia. So what are they? Sweet, sour, salty, bitter, umami, and ammonia. Nice. Anyway, we'll, we'll save those for later. I really would like to have some Tony's Chuckle Lonely. Do they explain why it's called Choco Lonely? Is that like, are they lonely? He was lonely, so he made chocolate. Illegal child, what are they saying? They use illegal child labor or they, wait a minute. Right now there is illegal child labor and forced labor on cocoa farms in West Africa. This is a result of the uniquely divided cocoa chain. Tony's Choco Lonely exists to change that. Illegal child labor and forced labor are against the law. It needs to stop. Hmm. So they're saying like, yeah, exploitation-free chocolate. Okay. I guess that's the idea. Hmm. <laughs> why? Why shouldn't it be this this complicated? Just eat candy. You have to read about these poor children being like enslaved. Oh my God. I just want some candy, damn it. I don't want to I don't want to have to get all bummed out. All right, here we go. Taeyun decided to lead by example and make 5,000 fair trade chocolate bars himself. Tony's Chocolate Lonely was born, and because he felt like he was the only guy in the chocolate industry that cared about eradicating slavery from the industry, he named his chocolate Chocolate Lonely. So, he's like on this this one-man mission to like uh who even knew there was chocolate slavery? I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that. Hmm. <sighs> Tony is the English equivalent of the Dutch name Tien. Tien van der Kuken is our founder. Tien is a Dutch TV journalist who kicked off the crusade against child slavery within the chocolate industry. On the Consumer Report TV show Keringdienst van Voord, Tien was shocked when he read that slavery still existed in the cocoa sector. He tried to discuss the problem with the large chocolate makers, but they completely ignored him. He stepped up and took action. What, what, what did they say? Tony, Ixnay on the Avery slave, please. It makes us look bad. Of course it makes us look... If people knew there was all this slavery, they wouldn't eat chocolate. Well, they probably would anyway, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. The lonely chocolate. The only, the only chocolate to... Resist slavery. What the heck is going on? I don't know any of this. All right, I'll just pause. All right. Mars, Nestle, and Hershey to face child slavery lawsuit in the U.S. Eight children who claim they were used as slave labor on cocoa plantations in Ivory Coast have launched legal action against the world's biggest chocolate companies. And then U.S. Supreme Court blocks child slavery chocolate lawsuit. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. 
I didn't know about this. Okay. Well, I don't need that much chocolate anyway, so I'm not really, I don't really have that much of a sweet tooth. Hopefully I'm not contributing too much to this horrible slavery issues. But let's, this, this chocolate is okay to eat though, because this is non-slavery chocolate. Thank you, Rule. It has a paper outer wrapper. And it has a gold inner wrapper. Ooh, oh, there's a whole thing in here. It's all in, in Dutch though. want some of this chocolate you can feel good about. But how does he how does he know that there's no you know what I mean? Like did he inspect the chocolate factories themselves or not the factory, I mean where they grow the beans of sort. Oh cool, it has a cool look. Whoa. Hello? Hello? Oh yeah, it has a, it has like a, a cool mold. Oh, and there's there's chains. Okay, so they're like he was breaking the chains of the chocolate slaves. Mm. Mm. That's pretty good. And it's vegan. See, the stuff can be vegan. I'm telling you. Mm, nom nom nom. Really good. Thank you, Roll. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a really good chocolate. I dig it. Nice, the sea salt, the almonds. Mmm. Very good. I paused and I, um, I recalled something that, uh, in fact, in, uh, you may recall the movie, <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? And they had these little orange dudes known as uh, Oompa Loompas, right? Well, in the very first edition of the book, they were um, just blatantly like slaves from Africa that Willy Wonka had sort of kidnapped and forced to work in his factory. Look it up. The original edition from 1964. <coughs> and then apparently he changed it and recently, uh, they've been like revising his. I guess his books are so offensive; they have to keep changing them. I don't know. Anyway, very sad stuff. Chocolate is evil, but can be delicious too. Today's episode is called "Abnormal Lantern of Fire," and the show art uh, shows kind of this uh, street with this weird doorway and all these lights and things, <laughs> and uh, how did this all come about? Here, so I really like this show art. <coughs> so basically what happened was, I don't know, a week or two ago, I took a picture. It was in my kitchen. I'm looking out out the kitchen window sort of to my my neighbor's pat, back patio. But there was something about the lighting that was very interesting. So I took that picture, and, uh, of course, Photoshop has a new function, which is called um, generative generative fill where it can fill in missing areas of an image so I took that image I the picture I took of looking through the window and it also had reflected things in it and uh, I, uh, I isolated out I siloed out you know the top and bottom of the window the curtains just so it had like a section of it and then I made it uh, 
a square and I did generative fill and it filled in all this interesting stuff. Then I took the original section, right, and I overlaid a generative fill with the word doorways. And so this is a new kind of AI imagery. It's not exactly like the old ones that I used to use uh, mid-journey where you just type in a phrase and it makes an image. This one is actually uh, using Im- actual images, existing images, and it can sort of extend it and overlay things on it. So I find this a lot more interesting and different. So in this case, this image I created, there's not a single pixel of the original image in it, and it's very different, but still, it still has the same sort of angles and reflections and things. So I thought this was really cool. The doorway that I was generated, because whenever you generate something, it gives you three options. This doorway that was generated is... uh, this doorway that is sort of this darkness leading into darkness. And on either side is almost like prison bars. And um, I took this. This actually symbolizes, you know, how the world we're living in is a kind of prison. And I think all of us are looking for the way out. So then here it is, an actual image of the way out, implying the prison with the bars on either side, but then the door is open. It's also like again, like what it, like on the top, it looks like almost two TV sets mounted on the wall of the building. It looks like there's some signs above the door. Interesting, really interesting stuff. Um, I do like this image a lot, and I do think there's a doorway that leads out of this place. I know everyone is very has been come very. Um, conditioned with uh, the cosmology of, of the times. And listen, there's no, there's nothing wrong with accepting it because I do feel like in today's world, right, there's the cosmology that has been uh, presented to us, that we are on planet Earth orbiting the sun along with uh, some other planets and uh, Pluto no longer being a planet, but seven other planets. Um, And our star is one of billions and billions in the Milky Way galaxy. And we're in one galaxy of many. You know the you know you know this. But what's interesting is that this cosmology that's been presented to us as a scientific truth, probably a lot of people don't even understand that, right? They're right. We've been seeing in recent decades, sort of a failure in education where people don't even particularly understand these cosmologies at all. So you have to be somewhat educated even to understand, oh, we're we're in this solar system and in a galaxy, yada, yada, right? And I I do think as a cosmology, it's it's rather, um, you know, it has, it's sort of a beautiful work of art, the cosmology that's been presented to us and listen, I don't know personally if it's true or false, but I have my doubts that this cosmology that's been presented to us may not be completely accurate. Again, I don't, that's just my own personal thing. If you can accept it without even worrying about it, it's probably better just to accept it without worrying about it, but because answers are not forthcoming. But anyway, I've, I view an alternate theory as uh, this world is 
First and foremost, the most important aspect of this theory is that this world is constructed. It's a, it's a world that has to place. It's a construct that has been built, right? It's like a big building. I know that runs counter to everyone's view of things and um, that it was built using technology, using, you know, technological techniques and uh, that we are sort of, we, the humans, are sort of trapped in here when we've been told this alternate truth. <laughs> Remember that term, alternate truth? We've been told this lie, basically, that we're on this ball floating through space, even though we're actually in kind of a prison structure, um, of which there would be doorways out of. I know it sounds crazy. Where would these doors be? What do they lead into the ground? Where do they lead? And I think that... Um, you know, that brings up another conditioning, which is a three-dimensional conditioning. And we hear about the fourth dimension. We hear about dimensional doorways, dimensional gateways. But um, a, a physical geometry that it goes beyond the third dimension, use having a fourth dimension, a fifth dimension, a sixth dimension, right, is completely feasible. And again, everything I'm talking about here is not magic. It's not mysticism. It's actually physics and uh science and technology, just of sorts that are far beyond what we are familiar with. So there could be a door that would be that would manifest as an actual, literally a door, and then some sort of a corridor, a shaft. Uh, you could use, um, I suppose it could be a corridor you walk down, though I think at times you could also use a, like an elevator as a as sort of a, a way of sort of... Uh, that dividing line, you know, having an open corridor may not be the best idea because then anyone can just walk down it and walk into the other world. An elevator, at least you can sort of stop or prevent from going between <coughs> if you control it. But the idea is that there's a, th you know, what we perceive as a three-dimensional hallway or shaft is, is, is then shunted in a, in a, uh, a higher dimensional direction could easily just be a four-dimensional uh, shunt and really the amount of shunt would be possibly even just millimeters to get to the next world. I know this all sounds fairly esoteric, but I think about it all the time, that this is an alternate way of looking into how the world is constructed. And uh, higher-dimensional geometries, uh, you know, would sort of be involved because as far as we know, we have free reign on the surface of this planet, and we've sort of explored all of it, and we haven't found any other worlds. And um, There have been reports of people finding other worlds, uh, such as Admiral Byrd and other people who approaching, say, like the North Pole or the South Pole, wind up in, in a... Uh, find themselves in this other world, like jungles. Like you go to the North Pole, but then there's like jungles and aliens living there and all cities and things. And people are like, oh, yeah, it must be, the Earth must be hollow. It must be inside the Earth. Not even thinking that, well, maybe it's just a parallel three-dimensional volume where there's another world there. <laughs> That's how kind of intense the conditioning of three-dimensional thinking is. Right, where you're presented with um, stories of someone. This is not not fictional, but 
theoretically someone's actual we don't know if it's true or not but their actual telling of the journeys they went on and went into these other worlds and because of the three-dimensional uh, bias everyone's oh it must be an inner world and inside inside the earth as opposed to just a separate volume anyway i i think about this all the time i feel like it's another way of looking at it and i personally uh, want to explore all of the uh, possibilities as to the cosmology that is what the hell is going on you know uh, i would certainly be very happy to uh, accept and go along with the mainstream uh, presentation but there's many aspects of it that don't ring true to me they don't sit well with me in my gut and they don't they seem to be uh you know there seems to be problems with that theory. And I don't think I'm the only one who has these doubts. And so, um, as I've talked about a lot on the show here, it does seem that there's kind of a trap set up for those people who start to question the, cosmo- the mainstream cosmology that rec- in recent history has been the uh, Flat Earth uh, Movement which uh, I think is asking the right questions but is sort of uh, giving very questionable answers. <laughs> questionable answers? Yeah. Um, right, it's a very simplistic view of what's going on to say the Earth is a flat disk with a dome over it. Um, and those people like me who were questioning the mainstream cosmology Oh, yeah, flat earth. That's it. That must be true. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, it seems to be a way of stopping people from uh, any further uh, investigation. And um, it is also very three-dimensional in its, uh, in its makeup, of this theory, right? That it's a disk, it's a dome, it's all very three-dimensional. It doesn't bring up four-dimensional or higher-dimensional geometries in the least. But it does imply that there that you know it, one implication with flat Earth is that this is this Earth was cons- this world was constructed. It didn't just come about uh, in an undirected fashion. You know, there was a designer, and and, and then flat Earth does tend to get very uh, religious, and they talk, oh, God created it. Just look at the Bible, and once you start going down that road, it just becomes another kind of religion. You know. And they and I've seen a lot, very little bit of questioning. Okay, so it's a, fl- a flat disk. What's under it? It's a dome. What's outside the dome? Like people are just seem to be very content in sort of just delighting in thumbing their nose at authority and uh, just accepting the seemingly arbitrary um, cosmology of flat Earth. I will admit I ha- I don't know the shape of the Earth. But I've also theorized that maybe it doesn't have a shape. There is no shape. That it's, uh, this is all essentially a series of scenes and narratives that we're living through 
and there's just enough of the world to see for each of us uh, to provide a backdrop for these experiences, but it doesn't. It's not real, right? Like I'm, I've recently been playing uh, the new Mario game, uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, on the Switch, and it's a world, but like, what's the shape of the world? Is it a dome? Is it a sphere? Well, there is no shape. It's a video. It's a fictional video game world, and yes, you're jumping on pipes going up mountains and stuff, fighting uh, weird fish creatures. But at the same time, there is no shape. It's just a series of experiences. There's some aspects implied. It implies it. It's, it's sort of like there's gravity and there's a sky and there's a ground. There's things implied about it, but there's no, there's no actual shape of that world. It's just fictional, you know. So that could be the case with our world as well. But focusing in on one of my more favored theories that I don't know if it's true, but I do like it, the idea that um, this world we're in is constructed and is uh, it's a 3D volume that is uh, isolated. That is, uh, you could walk all around this planet and you won't find a way off of it. Obviously, we think if you have a rocket ship, you can go off it, but... In this theory, similar to flat Earth theories, the sky and it's it's like there's not really like a huge outer space out there. It's just a projection screen of some sort. Or the whole thing's just an illusion, right? I think this sort of grand notion of this enormous universe is something so beautiful and inspired and artistic about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It could be true, though. I will admit that. But the idea that, right, there's in some way worlds exist, right? Let's, let's, say, let's say this is a real world, that it's not just an illusion. That um, you could easily imagine understanding some aspect of higher dimensional geometries, that there could be the world that we know, and then two millimeters away in the fourth dimension would be another world of the same size, completely different, right? Just stacked on top of each other, two volumes, uh, two millimeters apart, right? You, you could easily imagine that. Well, I can easily imagine that. And uh, the idea is that there's thousands of these worlds that um, you don't have to take a rocket ship to go to. You simply can walk there. Right. Uh, as I said, a ramp, a, a, a shaft, a corridor that shunts you four-dimensionally uh, would, would do the trick. You can literally walk to another world. And um, so why are, we, why, are we, why are we not being told the truth? Why are we being given this fairy tale about outer space and stuff if it is <coughs> a fairy tale? Well, as I've said many times, the theory is that this, our situation here is fairly unique in that um, there was a genetic experiment. This is all conjecture, by the way. There was a genetic experiment gone wrong, which produced a, uh, um, a race of beings, human beings, that were an offshoot of another race of beings. 
that were diminished in their capacities and less intelligent, less creative, smaller physically, uh, shorter lived, etc. And the experiment was considered a failure, it was considered wrong that you should create these genetic modifications, but there are some redeeming qualities in that to experience a life as a human being you will experience something unique, fulfilling, interesting, artistic, right, aesthetic, that is not available anywhere else, that you're not, right, you're not going to experience this sort of stuff in any other world as any other being. There's something very unique about it, whereas it's troubling, it's difficult, there's a lot of confusion and pain involved in this whole sphere of activity. There's something about it that it has this redeeming quality. What was I thinking about earlier? Um, yeah, when I went to the supermarket a few days ago, I bought some uh, Twizzlers. They're not nibs. They're um, chunks or whatever they're called. Cherry-flavored uh, chunks of Twizzlers. And uh, that artificial cherry flavor, man, I love that. So I was thinking maybe we're the only world that has artificial cherry flavor and actual beings that could, can appreciate it. <laughs> the, the, maybe that's the only reason we exist, because of artificial cherry flavor. Anyway, to complete the thought, the idea is that, right, living a life as a human being is very unique. So the, the point to it, it, that there's thousands of other worlds and different life forms out there, um, human beings are only really the the value is the experience you can have living as a human being, which is totally unique and different. It's a different type of experience, right? So if you were to um, populate a planet with human beings and give them the same access to the uh, uh, interdimensional society as I would imagine most uh, inhabitants have, that that is two worlds over maybe, there's beings very similar to human beings living there, and yet they know that they're one of many worlds. They know the interconnection of worlds, and they're aware of the other worlds, right? That would be being uh, participating in the interdimensional society, right? So you can imagine you would have a world of human beings that are aware of this interdimensional society. I think that, be, though I think that because of the unique aspects of human genetics... Um, this would be a source of annoyance to us, right? Because it would be describing beings, uh, humanoid beings perhaps, intelligent beings, that are much better than us in many ways. They're bigger than us. They're more beautiful than us. They're more creative. They're longer lived. They're more intelligent, etc. And we would just have to know that, that we're these little pipsqueaks of the cosmos, these these little a-holes just, like, why would I want to, I, I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those better beings. I don't want to be a, a human. It would be hard to. And the idea being that the minds, the consciousnesses, the the cosmic minds are actually inhabiting the humans or inhabiting any of these types of beings, right? As the consciousness is coming from a higher place. So if you were to have humans in a regular interdimensional society, they would be bugged and annoyed all the time. They would not be happy. 
So, in this case, well, create a world that's cut off from interdimensional society, where there is no, the knowledge is not shared, and in fact, an alternate cosmology is presented to the humans. Oh yeah, yeah, you're you're living on a on a big a, a big ball. <laughs> okay, where's this ball? It's in this huge empty void of space. Okay, well, I don't know. Why doesn't it, why doesn't you just fall down? Oh no no no! The gravity doesn't work that way. Your 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 ball is going around another ball, <laughs> a big bright shiny ball, known as the sun. Oh okay, and then there's another ball going around you, called the moon. <laughs> there's all these balls going around each other. Great. Well, where did all these freaking balls come from? Well, that's the best part. They, there was no there was no thought. There was no intelligence involved there was uh the universe just is it just exists what's well, no explanation saying oh, it just exists no it just exists there's no it just happened <laughs> there's this big cosmic bang and then all the matter and energy kind of like coalesced and then a few billion years later here you are uh yeah but, you know, it does present this sort of beautiful vision of we're all sort of passengers on spaceship Earth in this cosmic void, and no one created us. We just have it all had just happened in an undirected fashion. It is quite a brilliant uh, scheme to come up with this whole idea, and then it allows this background this cosmology, this scheme allows for um, human beings to live without the knowledge of being these little runts of the universe that we think we're the highest life form in the universe and our life experience can reach its fullest potential. Right? That's the idea. That for most beings, they're able to just be themselves and live in the interdimensional society. But for us, if we lived there, we would be so annoyed by it, it would ruin the, the whole point of being human, which is to have an experience and eat candy that's artificially flavored as a cherry. It has, actually tastes nothing like real cherries. It's just an artificial cherry flavor. <laughs> and like that being so important, to me at least, because there's times when I get obsessed with that flavor. Sometimes I have to get those uh, cough drops. What are those cough drops, those cherry cough drops? Um, not the squishy ones. Smith, Smith Brothers? No, not Smith Brothers. The other one. Luden. Luden's. That's it. Luden's. Cherry Luden's. <laughs> I just bring this up because this, this type of trivia and nonsense is actually very meaningful to human beings like me. My obsession with cherry-flavored cherry cough drops, for example. What are the chewy ones, though? Those are Smith Brothers or the ZZ Top-looking guys? Remember Stuttering John from Howard Stern? He, um, ZZ Top was being interviewed. He's like, uh, uh, guys, congratulations on the cough, on the cough drops. <laughs> very, very. I think back then people knew Smith Brothers cough drops better. They all laughed. Laugh, laugh. Yes, they have long beards. Except the guy whose name is Beard doesn't have a beard. Figure that one out. 
anyway, uh, yeah, so that's my kind of pet theory about the cosmos. And uh, so whereas I understand in the context of this, that with, by the way, I realize that my theory is most likely mostly wrong, but I, I just, I'm not, I'm looking for bits and pieces. I think in my exploration, in my, my pet theory there, I think there may be bits and pieces of um, actual truth in there. Who knows which ones are, though? And it should be said that religions tell a story that is uh, much more like perhaps what's really going on, though in a very vague and distorted way, right? That this world was created. Uh, when they talk about God created the humans, it's actually just a bunch of mad scientists of another race of intelligent beings that created this genetic offshoot. Um, and the forces that decided to corral us into this place, um, you know, would be sort of like, uh, I guess that's God as well, or is that the devil? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but that's how there could be a doorway out of this place. Which, though I can accept the idea that there's a reason for this place to be sealed off, just the hint that there's cool other worlds out there that we could literally go to physically is so enticing. And I just sort of, uh, it's one of those things that is it's a source of great fascination for me to go through those doors. And <coughs> um, in the context of this theory, I'm sure, for example, New York City would have these gateways and there's actual humans in New York City that actually do know about the interdimensional society and can go back and forth, right? There probably are some some people that do have that knowledge. I think that um, in terms of the right, the theory of the group of people who cre- who we're an offshoot of, we use the term Anunnaki to sort of talk about them, that they would be, um, you know, 10 feet tall, 15 feet tall, and uh, yet related to us. We're a version of them. The idea is that because we're so much smaller, the actual gravity was increased in this place we're living so that for an Anunnaki to actually come here would be a crushing level of gravity for them. They wouldn't be able to really stand up. So they really can't come here, even if they wanted to. Right. And the gravity was increased, and this I know is, a, is sounding a bit more, a bit weirder, but the gravity was increased to the point that uh, we we sort of experience our bodies in a similar way to how an Anunnaki would, right? Clearly, if you're half as or a quarter as tall as a being, a third as tall, right? It's you're going to be a lot lighter and have a lot less inertia. So the higher gravity makes us feel more like we're the big people and not the hobbits. Right? Yeah. This is getting a bit fringe, but um, there are actually uh, legends in South America of uh, these caves you would go through and eventually a gravity gets is decreased as you as you go through these caves into these other worlds. As I imagine, as I've always felt, the gravity's too high here, right? For some reason, I feel like the gravity's jacked up too high in this place. 
Um, and to me, a, sl- a lower level of gravity would be more comfortable. I d- and again, I don't know where that's coming from. It's just sort of a gut feeling, a gut reaction. Which implies that I sort of have some awareness of what it's like in these other worlds. But nothing in terms of an actual knowledge or memory or anything. Just impressions. Which easily could be flights of fancy. Whimsy, even. I admit that. But all these ideas are what come from not having the knowledge. And I, and, and I talk to people about this. People that have no doubt in terms of the scientific cosmology that we're presented. Zero doubt. I'm like, okay, so you just trust the authorities that are telling you this because there's really no way you personally can investigate it. You can't just hop in a spaceship and look at the, go up and see if the Earth is a ball. And I, I've talked to them. They, they admit, yeah, we have to trust in the authorities. And have the authorities been particularly trustworthy over the years? I, I don't know. Generally not, but uh, I, I guess if, uh, you know, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. I like to think about it. But I do think that um, the, the moment of discovery that there, of the interdimensional society would be so, so amazing if, if it actually came to pass. The initial part would be amazing. The initial discovery and the paradigm shift would be what a thrilling thing to live through. Then after the thrill, then we're sort of left with I think uh, you're going to, once humans, us Earth humans, have knowledge of the interdimensional society and how it works, I think think we're all going to just like, yeah, let's just reincarnate as one of these better better beings as opposed to being human. (laughs) But not knowing about the other beings, we're kind of okay here, right? We're kind of okay. Sort of okay. Obviously, we're not that okay. This place is all screwed up, but... Yeah. But also perhaps there's a there's a bit of nihilism hiding in the rafters of this theory because um in terms of the larger interdimensional society that I theorize whatever happens here is not going to amount to a hill of beans anywhere else. No one's going to really know or care about it, you know. We're an obscure backwater world. And what we think it's so important would probably have almost no impact on on the rest of the cosmos. That's kind of nihilistic, which, again, that's not good in terms of experiential qualities. We need to sort of feel that things are important in order to, right, that is an aspect of of our lives where there are things that are important. Things do mean something. Yes, they do. What are these birds saying? They seem annoyed or something. Birds, what are you saying? Talk. Squawk. I don't know. I don't see him. 
Oh, anyway, the, the name of the show, Abnormal Lantern of Fire. So I interpret this phrase as um, in the context of the image where we're actually now seeing a doorway out of this world. It would be a very abnormal kind of lantern that's usually completely dark. An abnormal lantern that can show us such things. In this case, the abnormal lantern is a fire. It's blazing bright and showing us things we normally can't see. The abnormal lantern of fire. If such a thing could happen. Uh, where I got that phrase is I was thinking of this. I was thinking of lantern as a good phrase related to that image. And I remember this term I came up with called barrel of mania lantern which I never really use as a title. I don't even I know I there's a few references to it in the show notes, Barrel of Mania Lantern. So I'm like, well let me keep the lantern part, but let me look at anagrams of Barrel of Mania. And uh, an anagram of Barrel of Mania is abnormal of fire. So I'm like, okay, let me use that. Abnormal lantern of fire. <laughs> That's where it came from. I like it. I like the idea of it. I feel like the uh, implications of these, even if we're not going to come to any fruition in terms of discovering these other worlds or learning about them, the hints that they exist are actually quite quite spicy. It does add kind of a, a fun aspect to life. And I think, you know, like... There is, and of course, the thing I'm talking about is extremely uh, prevalent in um, our our fantasy and science fiction, right? Interdimensional gateways, other worlds, other beings, uh, the fantasy genre, and the space genre being actually two sides of the same coin, right? And uh, in, in the fantasy world, in both worlds, there's many different intelligent races of, of beings, Right in sci-fi, space opera, and in in in, high, in fantasy, high fantasy settings. Right, and there's uh, super high technology in the sci in the space opera side, and there's magic in the um, the uh, the uh, fantasy side. Which I sort of feel could actually be uh, representations of the actual if there is an actual interdimensional society multiple races higher technologies etc cetera, etc cetera. abilities to go to other worlds right these are our, our space opera really has all of that except it instead of the worlds being separated by millimeters and interdimensional gateways there's like a vast interstellar distances you have to travel in a spaceship you know but structurally speaking it's kind of the same right but space opera keeps everything in 3D and doesn't go to 4D or 5D you see what I'm saying I don't even know if I see what I'm saying but uh, anyway just some thought experiments on a Tuesday afternoon Tuesday afternoon. I should listen to some Moody Blues. That's a good band. I know several of their albums really well, but I don't know all their work. I really need to get into the Moody Blues. 
Maybe they don't have the moody blues on any other planets either. So maybe that's another artificial cherry flavor and the moody blues. Two uh, of the aspects that make life as a human so special. Very special indeed. Hey. It's quite a bit later on now. It's nighttime. I'm here on the porch. I have the finished up my uh, the last of the uh, Lafroig 16. Mmm. What a delicious drink. Too expensive for normal use. I got it as a birthday present. Yeah, it's been about three and a half weeks now since my wife broke her shoulder. It's wild, like, uh, you know, because, you know, she's home and I have to help her out and stuff. So, I think it's like time is very, like, really weird. Like, yesterday, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning and I'm like, wait, it's like 6 o'clock at night. I mean, what happened? It's not that extreme, but it did, it, today was, seemed like the timing was more normal, but yeah, like timing and the sense of time passing has been all kind of must up, you know. I think it's just because it's a, di- a different situation. La mm. Freud. See, like uh, Scotch. Do they have that in other dimensions? I don't know. I'm sure they do, but it wouldn't taste the same as from the human perspective now would it anyway yeah <coughs> so you may have noticed I released a two, two shows um, on sub radio previews this is just kind of an experimental concept I did two of them because I wanted to sort of see how it would work so the first one wasn't just a fluke but um yeah, so the idea of this, I've been working on this for a while. The idea of a, a, a radio channel that plays clips from the, the entire archive here. Like, we have this huge archive, over 14,000 hours of material. It was very dense. It's very hard for people to sort of delve into it. So I, I love the idea of kind of a random access. Um so I did this process, which took about a month, splitting up the enti- all of the <coughs> audio into three-and-a-half-minute segments. Now, I know that I could have written a program that could... If I, I don't really have... I don't really do programming like that, but you could probably create a program that would select a random show and select a random point in the show. But as a way of doing it without having to do programming, I, I just use a splitting program to split up all of this stuff. So all of the shows in the archive split into three and a half minute segments. And then when you randomize all that, and by the way, there's 234,000 of those three and a half minute segments now. A program called AIMP somehow can have a playlist with 234,000 <laughs> songs and it, and it works. And you can actually randomize that list and it does it very quickly. I mean, I guess that's the kind of thing that probably like 20 years ago would have taken like a long time to randomize a list that long but now I guess it just these computers are very fast um, so then yeah just taking like I, what I've been doing I've been taking 30 30 random tracks out of the 234,000 and I'm uh, <coughs> playing it and I f- was able to because I realized as I think I mentioned last time you know 
both myself and everyone else involved in the channel, we don't have any extra time to do a something like this. So I wanted to try to auto. I've always wanted it to be automated. And I do think with AI, what the hell is that? What am I looking at there? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, there's a box on the porch. What is it? What kind of box is this? I don't know. Oh, oh it's toilet paper. Okay. We are toilet paper. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is that mysterious box over there? It's very dark out here. Yeah, so what was I saying? Yeah, so uh third so automation. Um It's very hard, was very hard to find, but Media Monkey is an open source media player program. <coughs> and not the current version, the previous version, Media Monkey 4 has a plugin that can uh, speak the ti speak the title and also custom speech. So I have it saying you are it's it's, it's and what voice do I have? I only have like this British woman voice. That's like the best one I have. Uh, I need to see if I can find more of those voices. Sappy Five. You are listening to Onsug Radio Previews, October 23rd, 2023. The next random clip. And then it says the name of the show, you know. And it plays it, and then it, three and a half minutes, and then it plays another one. And um, I think just as sort of an approximation of my vision for what the station will be like, I think this is sort of like just a minimum. I'm not, I'm not planning on doing – I did two of them, but I'm not planning on doing it like every day or anything. I, this is just sort of a proof of concept. I do think it needs – I do think well, it's going to need to be more automated in the future, but this sort of shows even partial automation like this. Uh, it sounds pretty good, and I've been really amazed at – I really didn't know, and I did a few other tests a month or two back. What would it sound like uh, playing 100% random clips from the entire archive? And, you know, every single cl clip is usually pretty amazing and pretty awesome. Uh, you know, I was kind of worried. Like, is, is there, are there bad spots or boring spots? I don't, I don't know. It's been pretty good so far. So Onsug Radio Previews just, you know, again, just like sort of a – sort of a concept of uh, establishing a direction. I, and I think that uh, it only makes sense that as AI continues to advance that um, at some point we should be able to create a, a broadcast like that with AI. Certainly, um, you know, hopefully with more down the road, more uh, contacts, the AI will get to know all of the ins and outs of our shows and our lives and become familiar with everything and be able to have commentary, be able to make commentary on things as an expert on OnSug Radio. Anyway, but I feel like that's as far as I'm going to go with this meta-level, top-level thing. It's kind of, I realize that like I, we all, I and we as a group lack the resources to do anything more. And I think that this establishes a direction and then I, we can see the way forward this way or with more automation or what, what have you. Uh, but I am working on the book. I'm making progress on the book. I do really want to get it out next month. Looking at the date, November 19th, 2024, which is uh, – 2023, that is. It, sorry. 24 years from the uh, 
from the actual beginning of this project as, as bluffcosm.com on November 19th, 1999. I think I can get it done by then. Uh, I'm, I'm making good progress, so the next print edition of the book. Yes. <coughs> you know, some more scotch here. And I have to say, not just the past three and a half weeks, but just the past couple years, the sense of time passing, I guess it's sort of something that happens when you get older, middle-aged, as I say. Am I middle-aged? As I am 56, I think it's fair to say I'm middle-aged. 56, get out of here with this 56 crap. Yeah, it does sound pretty old. Anyway, you have to be old in order to have experienced... You have to be old in 2023 in order to have experienced the good stuff in the late 20th century, like the 70s and 80s and, and, and 90s, especially if you want to uh, experience the 70s as a kid, which is key. I think a 70s childhood is dis- super distinct from a 60s or, or, or an 80s childhood, you know? Super, and I think the 70s childhood was, like, the best for me. If I had to choose an era... I think the 60s had some charms. 50s, like Howdy Doody, my father. I don't know. I think the 70s with this kind of post-hippie days that all of society was in, all the children's entertainment is like super psychedelic, but kids have no context for it, right? Like on Sesame Street, you have like that pinball cartoon. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven like this super psychedelic like animation of a pinball machine of course like the H.R. Puffin stuff Sigmund and the Sea Monsters Lidsville the Bugaloos <laughs> or these little like clueless kids living with this like weird psychedelic entertainment it was amazing and just you know it was a, such a great time for children's entertainment and toys I got the original G.I. Joes the big ones you know before they turned little I got the big G.I. Joe's, damn it, the adventure team. Um, yeah, and just the way society was, it was sort of like this wild time um, before a lot of technology, and uh, I really cherish those times. So if, if, if you want to be a kid in the 70s, now in 2023, you're going to be pretty much middle-aged at that point. There's no way you could be like a kid in the 70s and now be like 32 years old. It doesn't work that way, unless you went into suspended animation at some point. But they don't really have the. They don't really have. You know, isn't that funny? Of all the of all the science fiction that has ever. Oh, let's just put this person in suspended animation. They haven't even really invented that yet. Oh, we're going to go on an interstellar voyage to the next star system. It's going to take sixty years. So of course we'll put you in suspended animation. <laughs> like we don't have it. Like we haven't figured it out yet. Like I think if you freeze someone, they just die. You know. <laughs> the hell. When are they going to figure that out? I mean, are are there are there people working on it? I know you. I know you occasionally see a story. Oh, there was a monkey that was frozen and it was dead for like two hours, and they brought it back to life. It better be a bunch more than two hours. We're talking years. If you're going on one of those starships, assuming space is real, you know. Oh, we're going to put you in suspended animation for sixty years or one hundred twenty years. Like they haven't even invented it yet. You know, I know it's going to take them a while to invent the spaceships too. That can go interstellar distances, but, you know. If it's all real, which... 
Space. Space, the final frontier. Is it the final? Fr- aren't aren't isn't dimensions the final frontier? That that wouldn't even be the final frontier. But to say space is the final frontier, really? There's a lot more frontiers after that, please, Mister Kirk. Yeah, I'm almost done with season two of Strange New Worlds. That's such a good show. They had a crossover with the animated show, and then they have the musical episode. But they handle the kind of like the silliness very well. You know. Yeah. It's a good show. I must commend them on that show. Yeah. Scotch. Let me scotch. Mmm. Mmm. It's so good. The flavor, it's just sort of like there's a weird sweetness and then a tartness and like that. Uh, what is that? Like a, what do they call that stuff? It's some sort of moss they use. What do they call that stuff? Moss? No. What, what's the word I'm looking for? They burn like this moss stuff. Um, Ah, in in Scotland. Never been to Scotland. I got to go to Scotland one of these days. I would love to. Remember there's that guy from Scotland? What the hell was his name? And he he was a fan of the show here, The Overnight Ski, back in the early days. And then I started talking about some of these similar topics to what I was talking about. about, um, I think I was talking about, like, atheism or evolution or something. And this guy, like, freaked out on me. And he's like, I'm never going to listen to you again. Oh, well, I guess he didn't. I don't know. What's the guy's name? Something from Scotland. What the hell was that guy's name? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was pushing a, I would say, a relatively obscure point, which is that, um, you know, the... Uh, What's the right way of putting it? I know I'm going to piss people off again talking about this. <coughs> no, I, I I just sort of felt like the atheist point of view um, just was kind of... presumptuous in a way because as I tried to say, you know, you can say that as there's no proof for any of these religions, I'm not going. I don't feel like I need to abide by them in my life. But they could be true. I don't know. What do I know? But if you're an atheist, you're like, no, I know there's no God. I know those religions are fake. Do you? Really? I was trying to make that point. Like, you don't know, but. Yeah, there's not, you can decide not to live your life according to their rules and risk it. You, you may want, maybe they want, those religions are actually the true religions and you're going to wind up going to hell because you didn't believe in those religions. As Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, said that, you know, anyone that's religious is an atheist for 
99% of the world's religions. You just believe in one religion, and you're, and you're an atheist. You reject all the other ones, you know. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's to say, listen, I'm not going to live my life according to any religion. I'm not, re- not going to be religious. Uh, I don't see any evidence that there's God, but what do I know? Maybe there is, but that, to me, should be the, the, the point of view. I guess they call that agnostic. But to say, like, I know 100% there's no God and this, these religions are all fake, that to me is, is a bit obnoxious. And I know there's people out there that are atheists. I get it. I'm not religious either. <laughs> I'm considered an atheist by many people since I'm not religious. I don't follow any religions, though I obviously, if you've been listening to the show, I consider what we consider the supernatural, which is probably just higher technologies that we don't understand. Um, you know, I admit I don't know, and I'm, I, all I can do is kind of have my own perspective on what I think the chances of these various things being true are. Just some of my own personal thing. So this guy, Duncan, Duncan, was his name Duncan from Scotland? Maybe it was Duncan. <laughs> Wait a minute. I was just talking about Duncan. <laughs> this is a Duncan synchronicity, damn it. Yeah, I think it was Duncan from Scotland. Yeah. But then I also talked about the evolution thing, which I know is like this sacred cow to so many people. And, um, you know, I, I understand the theory and it's, it makes some kind of sense. It just, to me, it has so many flaws and questions about it that um, I have uh, traditionally said on the show that... <laughs> the theory of evolution as the origin of life is, and I, this is what I've said in the past and I still stand by this, the biggest load of horseshit I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, that that tends to rub pe- a lot of people the wrong way. <laughs> I understand that's going to piss people off. I understand that. People like Duncan. Where are you, Duncan? Think of all the great episodes you missed because I pissed you off that one time. Please. But even since then, which was, what, 15, 20 years ago? I don't know how long ago that was, the whole Duncan situation. Um, <coughs> continued advancements in, 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 rec- in biology, um, I think, have continued to sort of erode um, what was neo-Darwinism as, as a predominant theory. Similarly, as we know in astronomy, headlines recently... These new space telescopes are seeing things that throw the Big Bang Theory out the window, basically. And a true scientist should embrace this. They're like, well, we had a theory based on the observations we had available to us, and now there's new observations, new evidence. Let's revise our theories. No problem, you know. But a lot of people can't can't get away from it. They can't like it's become sort of a dogma. These uh, Big Bang and evolution, all this other stuff, has become this dogmatic thing, which is essentially extremely unscientific in in in, in its uh, scope. I understand at at the heart of a lot of these issues is a discomfort with uncertainty right so 
I feel that I, I must remain in a state of uncertainty about all of this stuff because quite honestly I nor anyone else on this planet knows the answers to these things but it is a very worthy pursuit to do our best to research and do our best guesses as to what might be going on but they're just guesses they're not proofs and uh, people don't like that people hate the idea of they want something certain so they grasp onto the explanation given to them whereas it's I think really truly if you're honest you, you have to see that any of the uh, information that we have is uh, uncertain but it should be a constantly evolving uh, thing we should all we should all sort of embrace the uncertainty and uh, avoid belief and uh, consider all the new evidence that comes around and then what I view it as is a, a sort of contours of prob- probability right um What's going? What the hell's going on in this world? What is this world? What is it? You know, probability-wise, is it that it'll come about in an undirected fashion? I would tend to say the chance for that is low, but there's a chance it did all come about in an undirected fashion. But I'd kind of say it's kind of a low chance. Um, is the Christian religion 100% true? Well, there's a chance it is, but I kind of think there's a low chance that the Christian religion, as we understand it today, is 100% true. I, I don't think so. That You have to embrace Jesus Christ or else you're going to hell forever. Mm, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't... In my gut, I don't feel that... I feel that that's probably a low probability of being true. But is there... Are there higher intelligences... Were aspects of this world created? Uh, you know, things that religions say. I would say those things, I think, have a maybe a higher percentage chance of being true, but maybe they're not true. Obviously, it's not comfortable living in uncertainty, but I don't see any alternative at this point in terms of the big questions and cosmology. Didn't I see something? I think that, um, what's his name? The guy, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, said something in the similar vein the author and raconteur type guy about uh, living in a state of uncertainty as being, in a way, the most, would you say, philosophically honest way of living? I'm not sure. Because when it comes to the big picture, the the cosmologies, what is going on in this world, if... I know there's a lot of people that don't really care about that stuff, and that's fine. If, as I suspect, potentially, this world is about living an experience, constantly agonizing about uh, existence, it's not for everyone. <laughs> you got to live your life and have experiences. This existential angst is... Uh, well, th- I kind of enjoy it, but it's also annoying at the same time. <laughs> You know what I'm saying.
And I guess there's also this sort of sense that, like, well, now that you get this sense that, oh, we're being lied to, oh, they're not going to pull the wool over my eyes. I'm too smart for that. That's definitely a very human thing to sort of be like, F these people, they're trying to deceive me. I, I, I'm on to them. I'm on to you. I'm on to you with your, your, your deception. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of miss the days where I could just sort of like, as a kid, like, the Viking spacecraft, they sent a probe to Mars and just completely believe it and completely like be into it. And they sent pictures back from Mars. I'm like, I love that stuff when I was a kid. I still have my Mars, uh, the Viking, uh, the prints I bought at the Smithsonian, the Air and Space Museum in uh, D.C., the Smithsonian. I miss those days of being sort of just believing in it, you know? I don't know. Can I believe in space anymore? Isn't that a Pixie song? Space. I believe in space. Yes, I believe in space. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I have my doubts, but it could be true. <laughs> I know it's so annoying. It could be true, but it's, I have my doubts. Everything could be true. Everything could be true. It's true. Honk. Whatever happened to the, those car alarms? Remember that the, they, they, would, they would go like, they did all different kinds of sirens. I don't ever hear that anymore. Like, what was that? Like an aftermarket alarm system or something? I don't know. Can you like hotwire cars anymore? I don't think so. They don't really cars don't really have keys anymore. They have key fobs. They like, you know what I mean? <laughs> in the movies, it's so easy. Like someone hot wires a car, they just sort of like, sort of punch the bottom of, of uh, like underneath the steering wheel and pull out some wires and start the car. <laughs> I don't think it's that easy anymore. But around here, there are um, car thieves that are, uh, there are still people, I think, that leave the key fob in their car. So they drive around like in the middle of the night and they look for like BMWs, Mercedes and expensive cars and stuff, what Acuras. And they just walk up to it and see if it'll open. And then if not, they've actually in this town, they've actually been in the middle of the day, even going to someone's back door and opening it and hoping to find the keys on like the kitchen table in the back or something. Apparently, they must get lucky at some point. And they say that these uh, individuals a lot of times are juveniles. And if they're caught... They can't. They can't arrest them. They just put them back on the street, and they're stealing cars the next day. It's a really a big problem because you know where I live here in uh, Nutley. <clears throat> this is a nice town. You know, it's a nice town, and uh, but we're geographically not too far as the crow flies from some real bad areas, high crime areas known as like Newark, uh, you know, Patterson, Passaic, Irvington, those kind of places. Which, if you're not from this area, you may not recognize those names, but very, you know, crime-ridden areas. And uh, I even had my Jeep stolen when I was in Clifton, the next town over, someone, and then they drove it to Newark. They stripped it, and they stole everything and brought, brought it to Newark. I even stole some, I had a box of books, including my old Hardy Boys books from my childhood, and they stole that. Can you believe they stole my Hardy's Boys books? That wasn't very nice. 
Then I had to go to this weird junkyard in Newark to pick up the car. I'm sure I talked about this on the show. Car crimes, yeah. But yeah, someone can drive like literally 10 minutes from like a bad area. And they come to this area and then they can like – like we had someone – there's a garbage truck that comes by around uh, 5.30 in the morning I think. So they're following the garbage truck and then they're they're like trying to open people's cars up. You know, and they they figure the people just maybe they stirred in their sleep. They heard the garbage truck, the hydraulics and stuff, and then they're like, "Huh, what?" Okay, let me go back to sleep. And then you hear a car door open. Oh, that damn garbage truck is making too much noise. But th- so they, they, these criminals are smart. You know, they're also stealing catalytic converters. They like go under the car and they like cut this thing out of your exhaust pipe. What happens? Catalytic converter reduces uh, pollution, I guess, but it has like silver in it or something. I don't know. All sorts of car crimes going on. Cars, yeah. We have two cars now. I have my father's car I inherited from him. Two cars. And you gotta pay insurance, registration, blah, blah, blah. Were they watching football across the street? People love that football. I don't know. I don't watch football at all. I don't follow it in the least. But I understand it's uh, very uh, entertaining for a lot of people to watch the the American football and the the other kind of football as well around the world people love. There's just something about watching people kick balls around. It's sort of like the balls, the planets the ball that are balls floating through the cosmic void. Something about and people are just really fascinated with the balls, you know. And testicles, too, possibly. I don't know. It's another kind of ball. That whenever you say ball, people think, oh, you think, is he referencing, is he referencing testicles? Is he doing a double? No, I'm just talking about actual balls. Sporting balls and planetary balls. And doesn't have to be testicles, for God's sakes, please. What's going on with these people? See, people have dirty minds. I know I do. Shoot. What are they? Was that basketball? I don't know. I don't, that's not really a shooting move in American football. <clears throat> Unless they're watching. What, what, what is that? Uh, decathlon? or What's the one that we have to, like, ski and then shoot? What's that sport? We have to, like, do cross-country skiing. Then you have to, like, do target shooting. Is that triathlon? Or is that pentathlon? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That one. What's the other thing you have to do? You have to like swim, ride bicycles, shoot shoot guns. Who made up these sports? Very arbitrary, please. Anyway. Listen, you need something to watch. I don't know what to say. You sit and stare at the wall? You go watch Star Trek or you watch basketball? What the hell? You gotta watch something. Or play video games. Yeah, these, uh, the Sonic and the Mario, they're good games, but they're just. Like, there's some levels that are really hard, and. I only play these games in spurts. I can't sit for like two hours and play a level over and over again. Like I would have done when I was younger. Come on. 
Anyway, I have a frivol called Beg. B-E-G. This is a pretty sketchy frivol. Frivol, of course, is my my concept that you can have an idea, and by, by describing it, that is the actual final manifestation of the idea. It's like, oh, I have an idea for a TV show. And as it's a frivol, you can just describe it, and then it's finished. The description of it is the actual final work. So this came about because I, I do play MAME quite a bit, the arcade emulator. And, um, you know, sometimes when you put your initials in, like if you're playing on an emulator, do I really need to put my initials in? Or, oh, I may as well. But sometimes the controls for the initials are a bit, like, weird and screwed up. Usually my initials are STT, Sneaky TT, like a sneaky time traveler. Like, I'm actually a time traveler from the future. But I'm so sneaky, I've even erased my own memory temporarily to make me believe that I'm actually living, meant to be living in 2023, whereas I'm actually from the future. Not to say that's true, but that's the sneaky TT concept, a sneaky time traveler. But I was playing some game recently, and like the entry to, for the letters was all screwed up, and I wound up putting B-E-G or bag. Like That's kind of a cool... Uh, kind of a cool initial so i started thinking about like sort of a scenario or a story of a, of some guy that would uh go to like i guess he's in college and um really into the arcade video games and and his initials are beg and i came up with his name his name is sullivan begner b-e-g-n-e-r sullivan begner is his name and his nickname is beg <coughs> and uh, this would be I think this would have to be earlier 80s than when I went to college. So I'm thinking this guy was going to college. It was like 81, right, 81-ish, right? So whatever games were out in 81. And um, and then uh, someone else starts uh, getting some high scores and in, in beating Begner, and uh, they put keg, K-E-G. It almost sort of – in the keg, of course, is like a beer keg, college – excess drinking, et cetera, college stuff. So he gets really annoyed about keg. And I know this is kind of a trope. I know in uh, when I could still tolerate that show Stranger Things, there was that – Was it, it turned out being that red-headed, red, the little red-haired girl <laughs> that was putting in the initials from this other character, was getting annoyed by, like, who is this person? I forgot what the initials were. She was a little red-haired girl, just like in uh, Snoopy. Well, she it's like real life as opposed to the cartoon universe. But you know what I'm saying. So anyway, the whole keg, keg thing. And then I was thinking um, the uh, something I did a little bit but not too much was uh, <coughs> record stuff because at college we didn't have cable. But to go home and record things off cable television – and bring it to college to watch. So I normally did that with movies. I would record movies off of like HBO or Showtime in the 80s. To me, it was mid-80s at this point. Um, and uh, then bring those tapes to, to back to college to watch. But I'm thinking that like Begner could like uh, – he – his parents – because this is 81. His parents are like kind of rich and they they have a VCR – and uh, so he goes home and records stuff off of cable, like HBO, Showtime, and the movie channel and stuff. If Was there a movie channel in 81? I think so. <laughs> and then brings it back to college to watch, right? But, not, but 
Yeah. But he does it like every week or, so, or every month he does it. So everyone like goes to his room to watch like cool stuff from cable that they, they can't get because they don't have cable at college, right? So I was thinking about that aspect as well. Sort of like 80s college thing. Listen, this is a very sketchy frivol. There's not much to it. Uh. But then also I, I remember that um, I was creating kind of like a stories for the other side, uh, Magic Smup. And by the way, my name on uh, – I didn't realize my name on the uh, Nintendo Switch is Magic Smup. Um, remember I, did, I had that thing called uh, Nine Pebble Detector and uh, it sort of talked about the origin of Magic Smup. That he was a, guard, a garden gnome, right? So like these college kids, they – Grabbed maybe maybe someone was throwing away a gar- garden gnome and they grabbed it from the side of the road and bro- brought it to the dorm. And then in this case, they were watching one of the kids uh, recorded the first episode of the Larry Sanders show off HBO. Though this would have been years later, when he uh, he did a commercial for the uh, Garden Weasel, and somehow that brought the garden gnome to life and he became known as Magic Smup. So maybe. Even though Larry Sanders was a bit later in history than 81, um, maybe we could incorporate that into into the Sullivan Begner story where they have a garden gnome and they one of the uh, TV shows he records off HBO to bring to college to, to watch uh, causes the garden gnome to come to life. And then there's this whole issue of like there's this like weird like garden gnome that's been brought to life in their in their dorm room, and what are they going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Isn't that didn't uh, I got to find that that recording of? Uh, remember, I played. Didn't I play some of uh, Jim Morrison, all drunk and stoned on stage? What are you going to do about it? You're all a bunch of slaves. Right, more slavery stuff. You're all a bunch of slaves. Where do I have that audio where he was like flipping out? And then he sort of pulled his pants down and showed his penis to the crowd. And I think that was in Florida. I think he got arrested. He was like all drugged out, man. That guy had problems, Jim Morrison. Also known as Mr. Mojo Rising because that's an anagram of more anagrams. It's an anagram of Jim Morrison, Mr. Mojo Rising. Got to keep on rising, rising, rising. Father, yes, son. No, that's a different song. This is the end. My only friend, the end. Yeah, I like to play that song in the weeks following 9-11 at work where we were working about a mile or two from the World Trade Center. I'm like, you know, one of these days... We play the song. This is the end. So they call gallows humor. It helps you get by, you know. <clears throat> it was very, very nerve wracking right after nine eleven. It's such a long time ago now, right? That's twenty something years ago now. What the hell? You know what I'm saying? Out of trouble here tonight. A lot of lech 
Uh oh. What? <laughs> what are you talking about, Jim? Come out from behind that false mustache, Adolf. I know you're in there. Jim, knock it off. Lots of trouble, lots of blues. Whole lot of nothing and nothing to lose, alright. This isn't the one I was thinking of. It's pretty good, though. What was that? He's turned into a monster, mommy. Jim, knock it off. What is this one? Burping into the microphone. The other guys in the band were like, <laughs> they must have been so pissed off. This guy's like their mail ticket, and he's like belting down constantly. we got here. Come on. Is this a longer one? Drunk in Miami, March 1, March 1st, 1969. I think this was the concert where he just completely lost it. guys in the band they're like we're in a popular band we got it made uh-oh the singer's kind of losing his mind uh-oh
They were trying to start a song and he just derailed it. Was that Soul Kitchen, maybe? He definitely had some mental issues, really. I mean, this is more than just being drunk. This guy's got a problem. Pigpen did this kind of stuff better, but he wasn't drunk. He was just... Pigpen and the Grateful Dead, his stuff was kind of similar, but he was totally under control the whole time. I reach over your left shoulder. Yeah, this is it. This is it. Come on. Come on. You're all a bunch of fucking idiots. Yes. <laughs> I love this part. You're all a bunch of slaves. Letting people tell you what you're going to do. Letting people push you around. How long do you think it's going to last? How long are you going to let it go on? It's been 50, 50 something years since then. I mean, they, we keep letting them push us around. Come on! There's a picture of the drummer. He's like, yeah, we're fucked. This guy, he's a good singer, but he lost it, man. You love it. You're all a bunch of slaves. You're a bunch of slaves. Bunch of slaves. Why don't you go make some chocolate, damn it? Slaves. Let everybody push you around. What are you going to do about it? 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 What are you going to Like, this would be cool if he just did it for, like, one minute and then sang a song, you know? Sing Soul Kitchen or Crystal Ship or something. I'm not talking about no revolution. I'm not talking about no demonstration. I'm not talking about getting out in the streets. I'm talking about having some fun. I'm talking about dancing. I'm talking about love your neighbor till it hurts. I'm talking about grab your friend. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about some love. I'm talking about some love. I'm talking about love. Love, 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 love. Grab your fucking friend and love it. Come on. I saw Jack White like drunk on stage once, but he went on like this. About 
about two or three minutes and he sang a song. That's what you're supposed to do. You're all drunk. Rant on for like a minute or two, then sing a freaking song. Come on, come on, come on now. Touch me, baby. That I am not afraid. Wait a minute. Love me two times, baby. One for tomorrow. One just for today. Just sing the damn song, Jim. <laughs> They're trying to. Jim, please sing. Love me two times, baby. Love me twice today. No. Come on, Jim. Riders on the storm. No. Six dead Indians on the side of the road. No. I didn't. I never heard the whole thing. I only heard like bits and pieces of it. LOL. Sing, damn it, sing. That's how you change the world. The very good songs. People love the song. How about that song? Peace Frog. Blood on the streets in the town of New Haven. No. It's a good song. It's mojo rising. Yeah, he's whipping his dick out now. He got arrested. The cops were like, yeah, let's arrest this dude. This poor man, he's lost his mind. Peanut gallery. Come on down here. Come on. Get closer. Real, real smart telling people to come down on stage. That's real smart. Did he sing any songs? I think they're just editing the parts together where he didn't sing. Love me two times. I'm going away. Hello. I love you, won't you tell me your name? Don't you want to pluck this dusky jewel? Hello! I'm singing more than this guy's singing. Yeah, I was 
right here in Melbourne, Florida, 1943. I think they call it Cape something now. I don't know what they call it. So he's not even a baby boomer. He's a uh, silent generation? Yeah, and then I, I left for a little while, and I came back, and I went to uh, a little uh, junior college in St. Petersburg. You know where that is? And I left there, and I went up to a little uh, college in Tallahassee called FSU. Then I got smart. And I went out to a beautiful state called California. Went out to a little city named Los Angeles. L.A. woman. You're my woman. I'm not talking about no demonstration. I'm talking about having fun. I'm talking about dancing. I want to see you people get up and dance. Well, you kind of need to sing for, and for people to dance, you know. I want to see you. It needs to be like some music, Jim. Music. Paint the Town. That was a, a, a Luna song, right? We're about to paint the town. So this was March 1st, 1969. I, I was like, I was a little like a toddler in New Jersey at this point. Almost like a baby. Like a year and a few months old. To the north. Like Jim Morrison was fucking up his concert. Yes, we want you to sing those damn songs. Weird scenes inside the gold mine. Oh, show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. Do it! Do it! Sad. This guy is just a sad, sad case at this point. Oh, this picture of him holding like a lamb? What the hell's up with that? It's fucked up, this kid. Jim Morrison. Wait, what? At least, at least he knows like not to do certain things. Yeah. Now listen, anybody that wants to come up here and join us and do some dancing and have some fun, just get on up here. Come on. Come on. I want to see some action out there. 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 I want to see you people come on up here and have some fun. Now come on, let's get on up here. Was this rollerball? Get out of here. This is your show. Anything you 
Yeah, we want you to fucking sing, Jim. Sing some songs. Very sad. I think that's about it. What is this? Him getting arrested? But if the band has a surreal fairground air, it is Morrison who is the frenzied trapeze artist. Mama two times, baby. Love me twice today. So what love me two times is like one oral and one well for lack of a different vaginal (laughs) sex (laughs) sorry I don't mean to be dirty but Mr. Jim Morrison makes it hard not to be what was the video called Jim Morrison drunk on Jim Morrison drunk on stage hold on did I lose it Miami, Florida. Hold on a second. Ah. I feel refreshed having heard that, yes. Listen, the guy had a lot going on. I don't know. It's so sad because he was a great singer. He had a whole thing going on with the doors, and he just threw it all away. He was mentally ill, I think. Or was he one of those uh, mind control victims of the Monarch uh, MK Ultra program? Who knows? Who knows, ultimately? What happened to these people? When did he die? Did, wasn't he in that 27 club? He died like at age 27. <clears throat> I think he died, what, 72 or something? No. 43 to... 3... 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Let me just look it up. 53, 63... 70. Did he die in 1970? I remember um, when I was at MTV as an intern in uh, uh, like 88, 88 and 89. Was that the time period? Yeah. Um, sorry, hold on a second here. Like they had this, someone had this footage of Jim Morrison like at, at, and like towards the end of his life. He was, like, really overweight and, like, rambling on about astrology. And they're like, this, no one else has this tape. This is, like, this amazing tape. I remember watching it. It was so cool. I don't know if I ever, whatever happened with that. Yeah, he died in uh, 71. Oh, he didn't get, he didn't get that far into the 70s, unfortunately. How did he die? Didn't he die, like, in a bathtub or something? Uh-huh. You don't describe his death? I mean, what's going on here? Hmm. Yeah, I don't I, I really don't understand this uh this website here. Hmm. Oh, here we go. Here we go.
Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find this here. On July 3rd, 1971, Morrison was found dead in the bathtub of the apartment at approximately 6 a.m. by Corson. I guess that was his girlfriend. He was 27 years old. Official cause of death was listed as heart failure, although no autopsy was performed as it was not required by French law. Menzarek writes that Corson said Morrison's last words as he was bathing were, Pam, are you still there? I don't know if those are great last words, but I don't know. Pam, are you still there? Hmm. Several individuals who say they were eyewitnesses, including Marianne Faithful, claim his death was due to an accidental heroin overdose. Hmm. Morrison's death came two years to the day after the death of Rolling Stones guitarist Brian Jones and nine months after the deaths of Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. All of these popular musicians died at age 27, leading to the emergence of the 27 Club urban legend. Since the date of his demise, there have been a number of conspiracy theories concerning Morrison's death. More conspiracy theories. Anyway, that was fun. You're all a bunch of fucking idiots. Can you imagine you pay money to see this concert? Instead of singing, he calls you a fucking idiot. It's not very nice as the, as the singer of the band. Anyways, with that, I'd like to say thank you so much patching into this episode of the Overnightscape. I finished up my scotch. No more Laphroaig 16. Ooh, it smells almost like that scene in Epcot Center when Rome burns and Spaceship Earth. Exactly like that. The smoky smell. Nice. Anyways, yes. Thanks for patching into this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey. We're here in uh, on uh, Tuesday, October 24th, 2023. As fake as that date sounds, as far as I know, it's the real date. Uh, who are these people across the street watching basketball? <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, um, we are here on OnSug Radio, broadcasting from inside the book. Just go to onsug.com for all of the your latest uh, shows and uh, issues. You can find the archive on uh, the Internet Archive. You can buy the book and a new book coming soon, hopefully. And your voice can be heard on this archive with over 14,000 hours. Why don't you add a few minutes or hours to that time? There's a show called Overnight Escape Central each week here on the channel. Put together by a Mr. P.Q. Ribber out in Truth of Consequences, New Mexico. A new topic each week. This week's uh, topic has been uh, sitcoms part two. And I uh, I played two complete sitcoms. Um, an episode of It's Like You Know and an episode of the John La Roquette Show. Uh, I think it was kind of groovy hearing those sitcoms. Check it out. You can participate. Just check out the latest episode of Central and you'll... See what the next topic is and listen and you'll find out how to participate. Record some audio and send it in to Mr. PQ River. Please do it. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm losing it out here. 
I had some scotch. Not enough to get me like drunk or anything. I don't know. Yeah, we are a non-commercial project over 14,000 hours, as I've said several times already. A unique style, and we're very focused on preservation and preserving these shows on into the future. It's a weird time, obviously. It feels like time is screwed up, and of course all the world events, the threat of World War III every day with this Middle East conflict. It's uh, Hopefully things will calm down a bit, I'm hoping. Let's just hope. Let's drift on into a more peaceful timeline, okay? We don't need freaking World War Three, okay? We need things to be, like, kind of mellow, okay? How about World Mellow Three? That'd be good. Instead of World War Three, everyone just turns very mellow. Yeah, good luck with that. Anyways, now that you know about OnSug Radio, uh, we're here for you. We are your radio pals. You are you, For the rest of your life and who knows, into future existences, especially if you're like in suspended animation on a starship or something, you have a lot of time to kill. Check out our shows, 14,000 hours and growing. Hopefully we'll reach 15,000 hours soon. That's like more of an even number than 14,000. Yeah. 15,000 hours, damn it. And one of those three quarters of one of two thirds of one of those hours is coming up right now. It's a crystal ship that's being sailed. It's a world mellowosity known as the other side. Kelsey Shore, um, congratulations on getting through grad school. You're going to become a psychologist. And thank you for the kind words. We had nothing to do with it, for the record. It's nice of you to say that. But uh, if anyone is looking for a psychologist, I recommend Kelsey Shore. You agree, Paige? I hear she's fantastic. Incredible. She's amazing. Kelsey Shore, that's S C H U R. If you're looking for a psychologist, Fish? If you're looking for a psychologist, Kelsey Shore. I highly recommend it. I am looking for a psychologist. Oh, by the way, uh, Juban. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I. Please. No, no, no. Please. No. Please. He is begging oh. you. I just want to say <laughs> that Juban Jabari. Did I pronounce that right, Paige? From Mike? That's about how I would do it. Juban, Juban Jabari? Juban. 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 Juban Jabari. Juban Jabari. Came here to see awesome what name. all the fuss about fish is about, and now I get it. Could you please, Juban, if you don't mind, could you, you please tell us? Please, could please you tell, tell us? Tell, us? <laughs> tell me, please. We have no clue. What's that? <laughs> we would like years. to know also. So we, we, are, we, are in, we really have been looking for a psychologist to talk this through. We were going to go see Kelsey Shore to discuss Juban Jabari's comments. Postulation. Is that what that is? Postulation. Ben Cook <laughs> wonders if performing in front of an empty room feels a bit like getting scuba gear on and not getting in the water. 
It feels no. more like getting scuba gear on and going in the water, but there's no fish in the water. Or like getting scuba gear on and there's no oxygen part. tank. I guess that's part Last of the year. Thing. Hope Lucy asks me, what is the subtle scent of these candles? Hope Lucy, these are Yankee candles, and this is chocolate layer cake. The camera really zooms in. You'll see that the scent of this candle is chocolate layer cake. I enjoy it very much, Hope Lucy. And I do pick the scents so that as we play, you want to smell it? Ew. Ew. <laughs> Ew. You know, if you take a good close sniff of that, you'll be on fire. <laughs> no, it really is. Desertious. As really we play. Wasps as we play. Speaking of fire...
study of the universe spans almost inconceivable extremes of size and distance and time. From the vast island of stars we call a galaxy, to the tiny atom and the particles that comprise it. cosmic events that occurred billions of years in the past to microcosmic events in the present that endure for only billions of a second. To explore the universe at these extremes, the scientist builds instruments that extend his reach and his vision. His great telescopic eye as the light-gathering power of a million human eyes. It peers not only into the depths of space, but far back in time. Since the light it now observes may have left its source when dinosaurs inhabited the Earth. His telescopic ear is tuned to the invisible radio sky. It detects not objects, but the radio regions associated with them, and at distances far beyond the range of the largest optical telescope. But the radio waves and the visible light that pass through the Earth's atmosphere to these ground-based telescopes are only part of a broad spectrum of radiation, most of which is blocked by the atmosphere. So electronic instruments are lifted above this murky and turbulent layer. Airborne by rockets, by balloons, in unmanned astronomical observatories, in manned laboratories, and in spacecraft orbiting the planets. Instruments probe the near and distant environments of space and open new windows on the universe. concentration of elementary particles. In one gigantic detonation, the contents of this cosmic fireball were hurled outward in all directions. After a million years of expansion, the universe was an intense blaze of light. Then the radiation cooled. And after hundreds of millions of years, great clouds of hydrogen gas began contracting and, in time, evolved into the galaxies we now observe. Inside these galactic whirlpools, smaller fields of gravity condense hydrogen into stars. Stars are inconceivably hot so hot 
They sustain thermonuclear reactions that transform hydrogen into heavier elements. Sometimes their hydrogen fuel burns so fast, they flare out in violent explosions, hurling new elements across space. Like a great wind, the radiant energy of starlight drives these clouds of dust and gas throughout the galaxy. Out of these clouds evolve new generations of stars. More than half the stars in our galaxy travel in groups of two or more, orbiting around a common center of gravity. Like galactic comets, immense clusters of stars swing in and out of the galaxy in vast eccentric paths. that the world of video games just keeps getting more incredible. Wait until you get a load of this. This is Virtuality, the virtual reality entertainment system by Spectrum Holobyte. Now this little coin-operated machine is the first of its kind and it is designed to toss you into a true-to-life world simulated by the computer by using what they call a stereoscopic images system. Now this means it produces 3D like you've never seen it before. You see, when you physically turn your head like this, what you see on screen moves and looks just like what you would see if you turned your head in reality like I did. If I were to say this is awesome, let me tell you something, it just wouldn't cover it. Now, virtuality comes in two different hardware configurations. One is a personal arena setup where you stand in an elevated platform, put on a head-mounted display, and hold on to a controller. Now, the other... It's a sit-down unit where you sit in a cockpit, put a head-mounted display on, and use a steering wheel or two-hand controllers. This thing is sweet, keeping in mind the hefty price tag of $60,000 for the stand-up and $55,000 for the sit-down version. I think you'll agree that uh, you'll probably won't be playing this incredible system at home. You'll be most likely playing it at the arcade. And do bring a lot of quarters, because with a price tag like that, the gameplay will not come cheap. Here's a look at one of the first games you'll be able to find in this system in the arcades. My favorite is Dactyl Nightmare, a two-player cyberspace shootout that uses the stand-up virtuality unit. Players are armed with pistols that look and function like those uh, good old spring-loaded toy guns that shoot those suction-tip darts. You know what I'm talking about. The players stalk each other through a weird world of pillars, checkered platforms, and archways. This thing is tough. You will want to watch out for that giant pterodactyl, though, because it swoops down to grab unsuspecting players, flies high, and then drops the player on the floor below. <laughs> now, what I particularly like is what happens when the dactyl grabs you. Remember, your point of view is realistic so you can look around helplessly or look down to see your feet and the onrushing ground rising to smash you unbelievable 
Now the future of this system is even more incredible than what we have now. The company promises to introduce a series of virtuality games called the Electronic Battlefield Series, which consists of multi-system flight simulators. Now if you're wondering how good these might be, let me just tell you one thing. The company who produces virtuality just happens to be a leading supplier of advanced flight simulator software for the U.S. Air Force. Not bad, huh? I'm talking about the real thing. So, if you're looking for the cutting edge, I think it's safe to say that virtuality is about as far out on the edge as a gamer can hope to get.
Harley Motorcycle Championship. And from Las Vegas, Muhammad Ali prepares for a shot at a fourth heavyweight title against WBC champion Larry Holmes. A report on Thursday's battle and the compelling question, is Ali too old to fight? All coming right up on the CBS Sports Spectacular. Sports Spectacular. Today's show is sponsored by Oldsmobile 1980 Cutlass. We've had a Cutlass built for you. And by Schlitz Malt Liquor. Great taste and a classic bottle. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Dick Stockton. Welcome to our New York studios for the CBS Sports Spectacular in that red-hot National League pennant race. The Philadelphia Phillies are trailing the Montreal, Nebraska. Gary Bender covering the U.S. Roller Skating Championships. Facts behind Moon Madness 7 tonight. From Bogota, Colombia, the World Roller Skating Championships featuring the dance and the pairs. And from McAfee, New Jersey, the final five events of the popular World Strongest Men competition. And this is WBA heavyweight champion Mike Weaver, a preview of his fight with challenger Harry Kotsia, with experts Gil Clancy and Angelo Dundee live in our studio. And also with me today, Baltimore Orioles manager Earl Weaver and his comments on the 1980 World Series. All this coming right up on the CBS Sports Spectacular. CBS Sports Spectacular. Today's show is sponsored by Schlitz Malt Liquor. Great taste in a classic bottle. The 1980 Volkswagen, Scirocco and Dasher Volkswagen does it again. And by Federal Express. When you have a package that absolutely, positively has to be there overnight, Federal Express.
Yeah.